Please turn in your Bibles to our scripture reading today, 1 Timothy chapter 2. We are finally in chapter 2. Chapter 2 is going to be pro- going to prove to be an interesting chapter. Uh, today we're, we're dealing with the first few verses of chapter 2, the first seven verses. Uh, next week, Lord willing, we're going to get into probably one of the more controversial passages in the entire Bible. I heard an amen over here. Somebody's been reading ahead, I can tell. Um, and it has to do with men and women in the church and the role of, of the male and female gender roles, particularly in the church. I was talking to Matt earlier before the service, and I have to tell you, I'm going to warn you, there is not a church that I know that actually follows what the Apostle Paul writes in 1 Timothy chapter 2. Even ours. Okay, I don't want to get anybody too upset with that, but, uh, uh, you know, sometimes reformations are called for. And a reformation is not just change. A reformation is a return to foundational principles. And uh, there's going to be a call for reformation. I got, I'm warning you. It's, it's going to be a little challenging to get through some of these passages. But I'm going to show you from the Scriptures why the Apostle Paul says what he says. But before we get there next week, we're going to be introduced. Uh, chapter 2 begins with a call to prayer. A call to prayer. Let's read from verses 1 through 7. First of all, then, I urge that supplications, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgivings be made for all people, for kings and all who are in high positions, that we may lead a peaceful and quiet life, godly and dignified in every way. This is good, and it is pleasing in the sight of God our Savior, who desires all people to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. For there is one God, and there is one mediator between God and men, the man, Christ Jesus, who gave himself as a ransom for all, which is the testimony given at the proper time. For this I was appointed a preacher and an apostle. I am telling the truth, I am not lying, a teacher of the Gentiles in faith and truth. And here we end the reading of God's word. As we know from reading the New Testament, particularly in the book of Acts, in the missionary journeys of the Apostle Paul, he sometimes was able to call upon the civil authorities that he dealt with to defend him or to at least uh, accord him the rights of a Roman citizen. He was a, a Roman citizen, not by uh, not having paid to become a citizen, but being won by by birth, he was a Roman citizen, and as a Roman citizen, he had certain privileges, certain rights that the Roman government recognized. It was far from a perfect government, was it? Wasn't it? In fact, it was a pagan government. It was corrupt. It was, in many ways, well, kind of like ours. Look, wherever human 
government exists, there's going to be a certain level of corruption, a certain level of rebellion and failure to do what governments ought to do. But Paul, and as we will see later on in the message, other apostles, uh, particularly Peter, uh, call us to not only pray for the civil authorities, pray for the—he begins by by telling us that we should pray for all people, for all people. And then he immediately kind of slides into— and pray especially for the, the leaders, the civil leaders, the kings and those in authority. And then he gives them some, uh, some reasons for this kind of prayer, as we'll work our way through the passage. First of all, prayers for all people. Prayers for all people, Paul says. He says, first of all, I urge that supplications— notice the different titles, the different names of kind of different kinds of prayers that he, uh, that he elaborates in this verse, his first verse. I urge that supplications, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgivings be made for all people. Supplications. We ask the Lord— to bless. We ask the Lord to instruct, to inform, to guide, to, to watch over. We, supp- we are suppliants. Uh, there's a whole group of words built on that, that word, supplication. But it literally, it, it, it means to come before God or to come before one who is superior to us, in this case God, and beseech him for his favor. Beseech him for his favor, supplications. And we are to do this for all people. I mean, even people I don't like. Love your enemy. One of the most, actually one of the most powerful things you can do for an enemy is to pray for him. Pray that the Lord, yes, may change his heart and change his ways, but pray that in doing so, the Lord would show him favor. It is not favor, it is not a blessing to allow an enemy, if he is an enemy for the gospel's sake particularly, it is not in his best interest to allow him to go his way in his rebellion and hatred for God, but rather supplications being made for him that the Lord, by his gracious spirit, would turn his heart, open his eyes, and turn him from his wickedness, even an enemy, but generally for all. Look, yes, we believe that God chooses some for salvation, but we actually want God's blessing on all people. There's a reason for that. In his goodness, he will draw people to himself. We are not to preach the gospel to people as those who are, well, there's there's the elect over on this side, there's the sheep over here, there's the goats, sorry guys, there's the goats over here, and I'm going to preach a message for each. No, we preach to all people as sinners in need of a Savior. We do not concern ourselves with, well, do I actually need the... Is there actually a free offer of the gospel 
when we have this doctrine of election that tells us that God has already decided who will be saved, is there a free offer? Yes, there is, because we're all sinners, and we all need to come to the cross of Jesus Christ, and we all need salvation and forgiveness. We pray for all people, even as we proclaim the gospel to all people. And God will take the prayer, and he will take the proclamation of the gospel, and he will use it for his own glory and his own purposes. That's not our concern. Our concern is to proclaim and to pray for all people. Yes, there is a free offer of the gospel, because all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. And God offers his salvation freely to all. In instructing the church to pray for all people, Paul is giving us a hint that there is a special role of the church in the world. Now, a little later on, he will say there is only one mediator between God and man, the man, Jesus Christ, Christ Jesus. There is only one mediator. But I would also say, and this is, this is a, a pretty obvious thing here when he tells the church to pray for all people, that there is an that, that there is a mediating role for the church. It's certainly not the same as Jesus Christ. The church does not die for your sins. The church does not speak with its own authority as Jesus did. The church cannot, the church cannot win your redemption as Jesus did. In that sense, there is only one mediator between God and man, Jesus Christ. But there is a mediatorial function for the church, and it basically breaks down to those three mediatorial roles, prophetic, priestly, and kingly. Prophet, priest, and king. The church speaks God's word to all. The church is in the world to proclaim the word of God to all men, to all mankind. The church is instructed here to pray for all. That's a, a priestly function. That's a priestly function, to pray, to intercede, to supplications, intercessions, thanksgivings, and so forth. That's a priestly function. And the church is to be a constant reminder and illustration of the reign of Christ in our hearts. That people can look at the church and see the effect of the reign of King Jesus in us even as prophetically the church speaks of the reign of Jesus Christ, that every knee will bow before him and every tongue will confess that he is Lord. So the church, in this broad sense, exercises under Christ a mediatorial role in the world. I want to challenge you today. Have you been praying for people that you know? And even those you don't know. Now, we are quick to complain. We are quick to complain about people that do things that we don't like. Those people over there. But when was the last time you actually sat down and prayed for them? People who may annoy you. People who work with you. 
and you have never asked them about the status of their souls and what they believe. Pray. I want to challenge us all today to take time this week and pray for the people around you. Pray for all people. Exercise in that thing that we call the general office of the believer, a prophetic, priestly, and kingly intercessory uh, ministry on behalf of all people. Pray for them. By the way, you will find that as you pray for all people, you will be more willing and able to speak to all people as well. Because their, their welfare will be on your heart as you pray for them. God's grace flows freely, and our prayers should flow freely as well. Having said that, Paul immediately turns and points to a specific group of people that we should pray for. I urge that supplications, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgivings be made for all people, for kings and all who are in high positions, that we may lead a peaceful and quiet life, godly and dignified in every way. Special prayers for those who are in authority, the civil government, if you will. It's something that, of course, I think we're, we're particularly aware of right now in a present time of discord and a uh, present time of lawlessness, is that we should be praying for those who are in authority because it is their particular role to suppress evil and to support what we come to, have come to call the rule of law. It's been said, it was said by uh, someone, that we have, that we in, in the United States, we have a rule of law, not a rule of men. That is, our laws are to be objective statements of right and wrong, of good and evil, of righteousness and wickedness. Our laws are to be fairly administered by the civil government for all people. That's why Lady Justice is often depicted with her scales, but with a blindfold. She does not give special favor to the rich, the powerful, the and so forth. She is blind to those circumstances, but she dispenses justice equally. That is one of the foundational principles of what we call the rule of law. And Paul didn't use that term, the rule of law, but it's actually what he's talking about here. It's actually what he's talking about, the dispensing of justice. And, pre and Christians ought to be praying particularly for those whose responsibility it is to dispense justice, to maintain the rule of law, and to suppress the wickedness of the human heart. That is the primary role, according to the Scriptures at least, of the civil authorities. Paul goes on and shows us why we should pray for the civil authorities, when he says this, that we may lead a peaceful and quiet life, godly and dignified in every way. This is good, and it is pleasing in the sight of God, our Savior. I'm going to stop there. We'll continue in a moment. It is pleasing to God 
when the civil authorities maintain order and maintain justice so that people, and particularly here Paul is talking about the Christians, that we may lead a peaceful and quiet life, godly and dignified in every way. There is a, a picture there of, of a society, a culture, a society that is secure, that is at peace with itself, that is conducive to godliness and appreciates the godly influence of God's people, that is quiet, no, no civil disturbances, rioting and, and crime going up and so forth, that is peaceful, quiet, godly, dignified. It is the role of the civil authority to maintain a society in which these characteristics can flourish. By the way, it is the role of the church to instruct the civil authority in this matter as well. That's part of the prophetic ministry of the church. The Apostle Peter writes this, and he doesn't say pray for these people, but he does say be subject to the authorities. First Peter chapter 2, verses 13 through 14, be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution, whether it be to the emperor as supreme or to governors as sent by him to punish those who do evil and to praise those who do good. You see in Peter's statement here, and again, there's a difference. Paul is saying, pray for them. Peter is saying, submit to them, be subject to them. But in both cases, they are saying the purpose of these authorities, the emperor and the kings and so forth, the governors, the purpose of them is to uh, punish those who do evil and to praise those who do good. And in, in doing that, that's a way of saying maintaining an orderly, just society. The result is that we can lead a peaceful, quiet life, godly and dignified in every way. That is, the, that is what we should be looking for. That is what we should be praying for. That is what we should be uh, testifying to, that it is the role of the civil government, primary role of the civil government, to do this. I've sometimes said to myself, my wife, who gets tired of hearing this, but I've sometimes said that very often governments that stray into areas that are really not the government's business, but they try to control, they try to can influence them, they certainly try to uh, buy your vote. I'll be somewhat crass there. But when a government involves itself in areas that are outside of its purview, very often what we see is that it fails to do the very things that it was intended to do. And you might be thinking, well, our government is kind of failing at doing what Paul is saying here. And Peter says, our government is failing. I'm not going to argue with you. But I also want to remind you that Paul and Peter wrote at a time when the Roman Empire was a pagan, corrupt empire, Peter writes 
be subject to even the emperor. Well, guess what? In a few years, the emperor is going to have Peter executed. Probably the same emperor, Nero, who had Paul executed. Both Peter and Paul under Nero. And yet, here's one man saying, pray for them, and here's another apostle saying, submit to them. And here's, a, here's something in, in insight that we get from Scripture and from experience, too. We make a distinction between the man and the office. The office of the emperor, no matter who the emperor is, is to be honored and respected and prayed for. The office of a governor, the office of a president, the office of a, of a civil magistrate, no matter how high or low in the, in the pecking order they are, they are to be prayed for and they are to be honored for their office. Even if the people who inhabit that office are corrupt. Really? Yes. And I know it's our natural tendency to rebel against the corrupt and say, oh, I remember when a a certain man was in office in Washington, D.C., his opponents would say, he's not my president. Well, actually, according to the Bible, he is, and you should be praying for him, and for the sake of his office, you should submit to him. Now, our system gives us ways of, of dealing with, with corruption and, and so forth. Our system is, is not like the system that Paul lived under and, and Peter lived under. Uh, over the centuries, our forefathers in America learned certain things and provided checks and balances and ways to correct so uh, things that, that were not available for Peter and Paul. But that doesn't change the, the basic truth that we are to pray for and submit to these civil leaders because of their office and because of God's intention. No matter how imperfectly they fulfill that intention, we are to still pray and honor for them and honor them. Paul lays out, and this is the, the classic passage, Paul lays out in, in Romans chapter 13, in much more detail, why we are to pray and why we should be subject to the civil authorities. You know this passage. It's often studied, Romans 13, verses 1 through 4. Let every person be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except from God, and those that exist have been instituted by God. Boy, there's something to remember Those that exist have been instituted by God, and they serve God's purpose. The authority of the civil magistrate ultimately is established not by a vote, not even by a document called the Constitution, but ultimately by God himself. Therefore, Paul continues, whoever resists the authorities resists what God has appointed, and those who resist will incur judgment. For rulers, this is God's intention here, for rulers are not a terror to good conduct but to bad. Would you have no fear of the one who is in authority? Then do what is good, and you will receive his approval." 
for he is God's servant for your good. But if you do wrong, be afraid, for he does not bear the sword in vain. For he is the servant of God, an avenger who carries out God's wrath on the wrongdoer. Now again, Paul writes this in the context of the Roman government, which often failed to do this, even as every human government will fail to perfectly uh, administer the justice that God intended. But even a corrupt government, this is hard for us, especially, I got to tell you, there's, there's this conservative Republican, if you will, side of me that just says, oh, no, I, this is too much. I'm rebelling. I'm out of here. This is too much. And Paul comes to me, and in his apostolic authority as a servant of Jesus Christ, he says, no, even they exist for your good. And even in their imperfection and failure, they still serve a function for punishing evil and furthering and, and, and approving of what is good. Civil government has been instituted by God to suppress mankind's tendency toward lawlessness and violence. It is to maintain good order, the rule of law, thus protecting a society that is at peace, that is prosperous, that is free, that is dignified, that is... In, in which there is a place for the godly to live their lives before God and under the Lordship of Jesus Christ. That is why we are to pray, and that is why we are to submit, even when prayer and submission is difficult. I, I challenge you before to pray for all people. Now I want to challenge you again and say, Think of that government official that you think is the biggest failure and the biggest obstacle to a just society and pray for that person. Think you can do it? Can you do it sincerely? Pray for your civil authorities. There's another reason why Paul says we should pray, and it has to do with the spread of the gospel. Notice Paul goes on here, back, back to our main passage, 1 Timothy 2, 1 through 7. <clears throat> uh, verse 3 says, This is good, and it is pleasing in the sight of God our Savior, who desires all people to be saved. Notice how Paul has slid into another thought here, who desires all people to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. For there is one God, and there is one mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself as a ransom for all, which is the testimony given at the proper time. For this I was appointed a preacher and an apostle, I am telling the truth, I am not lying, a teacher of the Gentiles in faith and truth. Paul understood something too, and that is the civil authorities in doing their job, even imperfectly, create and maintain an atmosphere in a society which is conducive to the spread of the gospel. Let me ask you, and we all, again, complain about the present state of affairs, but do you think it's easier to preach the gospel in North Korea? 
or in Los Angeles or Redlands? I mean, that's a question that answers itself, right? That's a question that answers itself. Because as imperfect as it is, our government still protects certain basic freedoms. And one of those freedoms is the freedom to proclaim the unsearchable riches of Jesus Christ. There is a connection between prayers for the authorities who are over us, for a peaceful and just society, and the spread of the gospel. The, the gospel mission of the church flourishes in a just society. And we all heard stories about how the gospel, uh, the gospel goes into oppressive cultures and oppressive countries and lands, and there's still people who hear the gospel and are converted and come to know the Lord in spite of the opposition of the civil authorities. And all of that is true, and it's testimony to the fact that God's word cannot be bound by man. God's word will always accomplish what God intends it to do. He is sovereign over civil authorities. He's the one who gave them the authority, is sovereign over them. But that does not change the fact that the, that the proclamation of the gospel, the growth of God's kingdom, is going to have a better outcome in a land that is free, that is orderly, and that it, in a land that is just. A land where what is right and moral is upheld by the civil government, and what is wrong and evil and destructive is suppressed by the civil government. That's a basic principle. Again, the rule of law. In that kind of a, a context, the proclamation of the gospel flourishes. Paul experienced that to a limited extent in the Roman Empire. The Roman Empire not only allowed him the freedoms uh, and the privileges of citizenship, which he sometimes used for his own advantage, but it also gave Paul a, a great, vast land in which to operate that was, un was fairly unified, where there was a system of justice, where there were, uh, if you will, even road systems that were part of the Roman Empire that were conducive to his ministry as an apostle to the Gentile. These were all functions of the civil authorities. It gets down to kind of the nuts and bolts of things that we often don't think about. If you have a freedom to speak the truth as a Christian, you will indeed take advantage of that freedom and speak publicly, speak privately or publicly, about the gospel. Paul is the great example of this. He used the rule of law that was maintained more or less by the Roman government as a help in his mission to preach Christ to all people. When when Paul writes that it is God's will that all should be saved, um, who desires all people to be saved, he's, he's not thinking of every individual person. He's thinking of all nations. He wants the gospel, and this was Paul's mission as an apostle to the Gentiles. 
to, he wants the freedom and the security, the orderly society that enables him to travel all over the empire, proclaiming the gospel to everyone he comes in contact with. This should be our prayer as well. This should be our prayer as well. We sometimes say that the civil government represents God's common grace. We make a distinction between common grace and saving grace. Saving grace, of course, is the grace that leads us to the foot of the cross and leads us to see Jesus Christ and acknowledge Jesus Christ as our Savior, confessing our sins and looking to him for salvation, for forgiveness. That's saving grace. That is not a function of civil government. That is a function of the church, to be, as it were, the administrator of that that message of God's saving grace. But there is a common grace, a grace that suppresses man's uh, wickedness, a grace that, that, as the Scripture says, he, he, he pours out the rain upon the just and the unjust the same way. He feeds all of us, to, no matter whether we are righteous or unrighteous. He provides for us. He maintains us. This is part of his providence, his preserving and governing all of his creatures and all of their actions. This is common grace. And there are certain people who believe, and I'm, I'm among them, that it is the role of the civil government to serve this common grace of God in the restraint of man's sinfulness. In doing so, this is the, the nexus. This is the place where these two streams cross over. The mission of the work of, of the church and the mission of the civil authorities. This is the place where they cross each other. And that is when the civil authority is doing his work. The work of the church is actually enhanced and is better and goes more freely into all the world. That's why, again, another reason why we should pray. We should pray for all people. We should pray especially for those in authority. We should pray understanding that when they do their work as God's ministers appointed to, to uh, approve what is right and good and suppress what is evil, when they do their work, even imperfectly, they are maintaining a society in which we can live godly, peaceful, quiet, dignified lives, and they are also preserving a society in which the gospel has greater freedom to go forward. The prayers of Christians are a powerful preservative in a sinful world. Civil authorities, as God's servants for your good, help maintain order, and in so doing, they are a help to the church. If you're reading along with me, that's the that's the closing of the sermon. Yes, we are getting close to the end. And then I say, but, ellipsis. Now, I'm not going to contradict everything I said. But what if our leaders are themselves wicked people? What if they are complete failures? Well, they're not complete failures, but because we have a system that transcends any individual person. But what if they're doing a really bad job? What if, what if our leaders are actively rebelling against God's word? Well, you should pray for them still. 
Paul doesn't have an, uh, 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 an escape hatch here. Pray for those in authority, except if they're really bad people. But we might have different prayers for them. We might actually pray that God would stop them in their rebellion, that God would replace them with those who are more in tune with his will. We might actually pray that God would convert them, change their hearts, and open their eyes. And so we pray, uh, our prayers are sometimes guided by the circumstances that we find ourselves in. But even in the case where we have evil people who are in charge of maintaining civil order, we are still to pray for them. Those prayers will be shaped by the circumstances we find ourselves in, but prayer ought to be made for all people, especially those in authority. This is God's will. This is a help to the spread of the gospel, and it is a help for Christian living. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we do pray for all people. We all have neighbors, friends, fellow workers who are in need of prayer. They suffer in a fallen world, even as we do, and yet sometimes they don't know why there is suffering. Sometimes they need to be instructed, and sometimes our prayers can help them. Thus we pray with thanksgiving, supplication, prayers, intercessions for all around us. We especially pray for those who are in authority over us. They are your servants, for you has, have established the civil government. You have established it to be a terror to evildoers and to praise those who do good. We pray, Father, that our leaders would remember this role that they are to play and that they are to pursue justice as servants of the living and true God. Lord, where our leaders have forgotten this or where they have turned their backs on your truth, we pray that you would awaken them. We also pray that if they rebel against you and they are hardened in their hearts against you, that you would replace them with those who, who understand their role and understand the importance of maintaining the rule of law. We pray, Father, that you would help us as believers to live that life that is godly, peaceful, and dignified, and that by living such a life, we testify to the lordship of Jesus Christ over us, that they can see the effect of saving grace even as they live in a world of common grace. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.